This Week in Retronauts, Octorox, Tektites, and Levers, too. everyone and welcome to oh man which episode of retronauts is this we've been doing it's this for like 10 years zelda episode so it's yeah. got it we've got to have at least 20 episodes under our belts um so welcome to episode 21 of retronauts i'm just <laughs> assigning that number arbitrarily. 21 i think we're in six, the 60s by now uh, we're in the 60s we have to be it's all imaginary numbers mm. we're counting down quantity. welcome to the square root of negative one of retronauts that's exactly right quantity is a is a construct of the human mind and so are video games, so we're going to talk about those this week. We're going to talk specifically about The Legend of Zelda and Zelda 2. How have you not talked about Zelda before? We've well, talked about I mean, Zelda talked in about, general, yeah. but we've never I've really... I've listened to the Zelda episodes. We've never really drilled deeply into the NES games, mm-hmm. because as, people tend to kind of brush over those. As yeah. the Retronauts a historian, I guess, I think the last time this show did an episode on classic Zelda was maybe 2007, so we're about oh, due. Yeah. I was a listener Good then, God. a long-time listener. And that was the 25th Everything, everything about that game has changed since then. <laughs> <laughs> the way we think But maybe you changed. didn't dig into Zelda 2? Uh, definitely not. Guys, I, I beat Shadow Link two days ago for the first time. Oh, ever. nice. Wow. So it's fresh. Sweet. Okay. We'll, well that's there, excellent. We'll get Wait, there. who are you? I never <laughs> played Zelda 2. Oh, no, my no. name is... No, yeah, no, literally. <laughs> this, is, this is actually asking for an identification. Sure. My name is uh, Sam Claiborne. I'm an editor at IGN, and uh, I operate games at Free Gold Watch and Hate Stanion in the Mish- or the, the Hate yeah, Asher you keep talking Easter. that place up. I need to go sometime. It's a great arcade. I San stayed, Francisco's I stayed most in a super crazy Airbnb like two doors down from that one time. Really? Yeah. But was it above a yoga place? That's a uh, trick question because they're all they're yoga all places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, also, I'm Jeremy Parrish. I'm here as usual. And diagonally from me. I'm Chris Kohler from Wired, and I'm so hungry I could eat an Octorok. Wow. There's some, there's, there's some scones right there. Oh, cool. We nice. could do the thing where we eat on the podcast because I know people really like that. That's I am one of those <laughs> I'm one of those people who um who really, really loves that so much uh, that I would Oh yeah. no 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 don't I, even don't even imitate it. I literally yeah. want to punch Sound it. is the best. We just, we just got uh, I'll edit that out. I think we just got three <laughs> one star reviews for that. Uh, and also I'm I'm Bob Mackey, noted Zelda two hater. Whoa. I'm sipping on that Zelda 2 Haterade, oh, and it, it's delicious. This is the uh, that's this an is unusual the and iconoclastic two. opinion. <laughs> <laughs> we're on the anti Zelda 2 side of the table, I guess. Oh, cool. And I, I never said pro? I was pro Zelda 2. Oh. Well, you just beat it. Oh. I just beat. I I need to need to deconstruct it and uh, and decompress it. I guess in this in this very okay. uh, episode. This could be therapy, folks. You heard yeah. it here first. We'll see. Uh, anyway, so yes, in case you haven't figured it out, we're going because I mentioned it. Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about Zelda and Zelda 2: The Adventure of Link. Um, more or less on the occasion of their 30th anniversary, or of Zelda's 30th anniversary, which was February 21st. Um, and then Zelda 2 came out in Japan, uh, I want to say February 1987, so it wasn't too far behind. Hmm. So yeah, both of those games are pretty old now, and I remember seeing commercials for them when they were brand new, and that makes me feel very old. I remember waiting for many, many years for Zelda 2 to come to America. Well, I guess it was like a year, but it's some, it seemed like so long. Yeah. Well, that was the first example of, well, I don't know, get myself in trouble and say it was the first example of. The but first that e- was notable example. Of, of a game being announced uh, and like sort of having a release window and then like getting a very uh, uh, conspicuous delay. This is for Zelda 2 you're For Zelda about. 2, yeah, the because Nintendo had to say, yeah, the quote-unquote chip shortage, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, we can we can talk more about that later. But I wonder how much of that was true. I well, I mean, I, it might be, it's not so much a chip shortage as like it probably took them a certain amount of time to manufacture these games, you know, internal components and external components. And they probably realized like, oh, we actually need a lot of these. Like the NES has kind of exploded so much in popularity that like we can't release this game without like exponentially more copies of Zelda 2 than that, we were originally going to have. that could be the origin of Nintendo's, uh, you know, just having too few of one thing that everybody's excited about. Just mm-hmm. has repeated Every time mm. they put out a console, yeah. every time they put out be... an Amiibo. Well, yeah. actually, actually like, the NES they, itself are they just was also, like, Zelda 2? At that time, Nintendo had, like, their chip manufacturing process, and that was how, right? I mean, like, Nintendo's games, all third-party games, like, Nintendo mm-hmm. manufactured everything. Third parties had come to Nintendo and said, we'd like to do our own, you know, chips, and here's factories that we have. And Nintendo mm-hmm. was like, no, this is an unacceptable level of quality. So, like, they they really had really high standards for the quality of the electrical, you I, know, electronic I components I wonder if inside. that was the full story there. Eh. I think I think no, but... Anyway, yeah. well, and the we'll, we'll talk shortage, more about that. Again, yeah, we'll Nintendo, about Nintendo might uh, – people are like, oh, Nintendo, you know, they screw third parties because they, they, they didn't give them enough of their allotted orders. But Nintendo's not going to screw themselves with a fake chip shortage to, like del- – delaying a game doesn't help anybody. Like, I, I imagine there well, really was an I, issue I would, I would actually enough manufacturing. I, I'm sure that's true. Um, it's for hype. Zelda 2 used a cartridge very similar to the, the first Zelda, except it had an additional, like, subcomponent to it. It had, mm-hmm. like – an extra 16K of, of some kind of memory soldered onto it. So it was almost the same, but not quite. Yeah, uh, isn't it but, weird how the but I really think, so much? I, you know, as I think about it, uh, it occurs to me that Zelda launched in America right around the time that the NES really started to pick up steam. And I kind of wonder if they just wanted to delay Zelda 2 so that the first game had more time to breathe because be. lots and lots of kids were still buying NESs all the way up. I think the peak of the NES market in terms of console uptake, was 1989. So, like, there were more and more people buying the games. And, you know, NES games were, just in general, games at that point had a different life cycle than they do now. Now they come out, and three weeks later, they go on Steam sale or whatever, and the value drops out. But, But during the Nintendo era, a popular game would stay in circulation for years and years. I mean, the black box games were, were continuing to show up on, on store shelves into the 90s. Imagine a game Do like you... Zelda in which nobody could solve it. Right, right. right it was unsolvable. It, it, was an, it was a never-ending adventure. Do you yeah. think that explains the Mario 3 18-month gap between America and Japan just to get Mario saturation at its highest level? Just yeah, like I you really Well, I mean, yeah. one, of the, one of the parts of the 18-month gap is that Mario 3 came out in Japan, I believe... One month after Mario Two came out in America. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah. that needed some time on the shelves. Oh, for no, sure. I, yeah. I, but I mean, that is yeah, that's part of it. Like they wanted to give the previous game yeah. time to breathe. Same thing. Sure. So yeah. I, I think it's a combination of factors. Yeah. But and anyway, that I mean, that it certainly the delay of Zelda Two. It certainly was a didn't hurt the game. I mean, yeah. yeah, it gave other people a chance to to you know release games, but also like it built up this anticipation for Zelda Two. By the time it came out, we were all like, "When is Zelda Two coming?" Right. I would I would call like the local stores that had electronic sections. Like on a weekly basis, I would call all of them and say, do you have Zelda 2 yet? This was in the summer, like six months before that. Mm-hmm. No, there, there's some speculation that they released a very limited quantity of Zelda 2 in mm-hmm. the U.S. because it was actually announced, I think, at the same time as Zelda. Like there, there mm-hmm. are promotional materials that are like new, coming, coming soon, Zelda and Zelda 2. And then Zelda 2 didn't show up for, you know, like two or three years yeah, later. And Nintendo yeah. Power, they actually but used I don't, issues I to address the shortage, too. So yeah. Was, I mean, it was their, it was their propaganda disgusting. mouthpiece. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't I, – I, 
personally think it's very unlikely that they would have released just a few games and then said, oh, no, let's not do that. I, I really think they had plans to release it initially and then for whatever reason, whether it was manufacturing quantities or just the desire to let the first Zelda take some time and breathe because they put a lot of marketing behind Zelda, the first one, and it was a really, it was a standout game, not just because it was a good game, but also because of the packaging and the presentation and the marketing and everything. So yeah, why don't we talk about the first game and what Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, this has been Chip Chat, in case you weren't paying attention. Our new segment. So, The Legend of Zelda. What was it? Let's not read the notes. That's... Sure. Um, tell me, guys, what was it? <laughs> well, it, it was a uh, it, it was a game that was developed alongside Super Mario Brothers that couldn't mm-hmm. have been more different than Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. Like they were made at the exact same time and they feel like yeah. Just completely different ideas. And that's they like said, developing well, Star Wars and Indiana Jones at the same time too. Like that's really strange. They came out and they said originally the character walking around on the screen was Mario. Mm. I mean, because mm. that's Mario just what Adventure. Nintendo did. Yeah, right. they just sort of like plot Mario. Mr. Video. Like, yeah, Mr. Video, exactly. And just have him walking around. But the idea, you know, just starting developing that top down gameplay first and then trying to figure out later. Mm. Definitely, um, I mean, when, when the first Legend of Zelda was released in Japan, it was called an RPG. Like, mm. it, it says that on there, right? Um, so this was clearly like. Miyamoto looking at the emerging genre of the role-playing game and saying, I can do this better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and by taking out all of the parts of the role-playing game. Yeah. I wonder if if Zelda came like six, uh, maybe like uh, eight, nine months later, if it would have been a different game because it came out right before Dragon Quest arrived. Mm. Yeah. And Dragon Quest really, I know it took a while for Same that to influence. get, to get yeah. picked up, but, but, different but that really sort of set the design of RPGs. And you see a lot of Dragon Quest in Zelda 2, actually. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel like the game came out at just the right time to be what it was and to be sort of yeah. unshaped by other trends in the Japanese games mm-hmm. industry. Right. They were mm-hmm. both they were both shaped by the growing like realization that RPG is a thing and then took it into wildly different directions. Like yeah. because looking at because Dragon Quest also looked at, you know, games like Wizardry and games like Black Onyx and were like, um, you know, let's let's uh, make this really for the console audience, mm-hmm. let's make this for kids, let's make this for, you know, casual gamers, if right. you will. It was also um, shaped by the hardware too, right? Because it was a Famicom disc system. Sure, yeah. It was made for that. It was like, what can we do with the system? Well, we can put saves on it. What right. does a game that needs saves look like? Yep. It doesn't yeah. look like Super yeah, Mario because, Yeah, because Dragon Quest on cartridge in Japan used passwords. Mm. Uh, everything used passwords. And so their idea being a third party was, well, we have to use passwords or something else we can do. But the disc system was there. Um, you know, one of the major like benefits of the Famicom Disk System was this will let you save games and have adventures that go on and on and on. You don't have to write down passwords anymore. Yeah, and then said, the first, said, the first um, games that we saw, you know, on Famicom Disk System were like Castlevania, um, Metroid. Kid Icarus, Metroid, and these were games that and Zelda, and these were games all that allowed saves. you to. They all had saves. Can you yeah. imagine Castlevania having <laughs> saves? That makes it so possible. It makes yeah. it. It makes it make sense it makes it why the U.S. version was so like completely ridiculously yeah. difficult. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it it yeah the game is the game still fair, difficult but, but saves. so difficult. Yeah. Right, right, but you can try the same levels over and over again. For me, uh, growing up and just kind of figuring out 
out video games, uh, Zelda was kind of like the dad game. Like, everyone's dad was playing Zelda. Like, if you were a dad in the 80s, Zelda was your game. And it was this thing I would watch people's dads play and be like, that looks so complicated. But eventually I got the confidence to play it myself. But for some reason, it was just like, I, I just viewed it as the dad game. Like, you're a mustache dad in the 80s, you're playing Zelda, yeah. having a good time with your I aviator glasses. You know, sentiment so clearly. I can t- totally agree with you on yeah. that. I just remember, I, I felt a little young for Zelda when it came out. Like, I can just say that. I well, Zelda, I mean, you know, because it was this the lengthy adventure that kept drawing you back in. You know, all dads, you know, they would sit down and play some Super Mario Brothers. Maybe dad even beat Super I remember, Mario Brothers. I remember mom's like, liking Zelda too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The yeah. But like making maps and your stuff. Your parents might try things and then sort of walk away from it. Say, okay, I played that game. That was fun. That was interesting. But I don't really play games. But yeah. Zelda was like one of the first games on the NES where it would just keep bringing you back for more because you can't just sit down and play it a little it's bit. It's kind of like Infocom text adventures. Like parents always liked, were attracted to those to just come back and they're a little bit more cerebral. Right. And they're, and they're slow paced and they reward you know they reward the things that parents have the patience and the um the uh the the, the perspicacity for that maybe kids don't like you know your parents are good at Zelda because they are they're doing problem solving and they're going okay let me take a step back here what if I bomb this wall whereas kids are just like ah killing enemies I can't play this game how do I get past this dungeon yeah. it's but funny your mom how we're talking about everybody as, as parents because we <clears throat> were kids then but actually we're just talking about adults That's, yeah wow yeah. <laughs> makes you think perspective it's a matter but of perspective adults own NESs if they didn't have that's kids that's the thing right, that's, right, that right, was right. The, that's the question the chicken and egg kids uh, are the game you know it, it, would, it would be like the distribution you know some of them would the weirdos would and then most adults had Ataris yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, somewhere along the line, you know, it was the introduction of computers. But that probably also burned them on, like, I'll just get an adult computer instead of a kid's toy. No, no, I mean, that's like that's that. essentially yeah. what was happening. Yeah. yeah. The, the I mean, remember when the NES came out, we've, I mean, here's something we've done to death on Retronauts. You know, people thought. Don't even video, say the words. People thought that video mm-hmm. game systems were over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if anything, they were trying to sell them as, like, yeah, as a, as a children's toy, right? But, um, yeah. but parents, adults had moved on to computers. And, of course, they'd sit on their computers for hours and hours playing games, but they weren't playing video games. These were computer games for grown-ups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I want to go back to the, uh, the idea of Zelda being an RPG because, man, mm-hmm. Are people insufferable about arguing that it's not action, an RPG? Action RPG or adventure or... Okay. It's okay. <laughs> Role-playing game is a very open totally. and broad term. Just because you don't have numbers that go up... What about the doesn't numbers? mean it's not an... Oh, you did it. But you I feel so it. uncomfortable. You blew it up. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it really was drawn You can't, you can't from, make a character. It was kind of trying to distill uh, RPG concepts into sort of an action milieu if you want to say um you know you had games like adventure for atari 2600 that was in the late 70s venture by exidy um and then on the japanese side which probably was more influential to nintendo you had uh, namco's tower of juraga which uh, zelda looks very very much like tower of juraga so like, does gauntlet suspiciously yeah. like tower of juraga yeah, not i'm saying stairs, it's a ripoff it's but... got a guy with a very short sword yeah i mean it's it's it they, they are very with yeah, the, the three quarters yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like the characters uh, and everything well are you have the, like those wizards um that are just like the wizard robes wizards, they they yeah. warp around and mm-hmm. shoot at you i mean it's it's very definitely coming from the same cloth but you also had that you know, on, on the pc V-Pac side man. you also had uh you also had falcom experimenting with series like sorcerian um, and those may not have been quite as as directly molded uh, and, and 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 influential for Nintendo. But yeah, that, that was like nineteen. 19- I've never heard of that one. What's that? Sorcerian is that Sorcerian is um, no, it's it's a PC game. I think they worked on PC eighty eight mostly. The and, problem, um, I think the one of the issues with like if we, one of my problems is if we call Zelda a, a role playing game, it it 
it almost defines down role playing game to the point that um, role playing game starts to lose a lot of its meaning, um, and we don't really have a word to describe a Final Fantasy anymore. If, if that if that's well, an RPG, it's an action RPG. And Zelda's that's also an is. RPG. Uh, I mean, again, I think that's debatable. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not really again, passionate I, about I, it. I, I like, don't, I don't really want to have I this argument. To, I'm just saying right, that right, it's, right. it is attempting to distill RPG concepts into an action experience. So, yeah. action RPG Inspired is a really, a really good description for for RPG or for for what the game is. And you know, I just uh, went to the GDC Diablo panel yesterday mm-hmm. and listened to David Brevik talk. And you know, afterwards, I asked him, like, you you said that Diablo was the the birth of the ARPG, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I was playing action RPGs on consoles a yeah. long time before that. So how does that differentiate? And he said, you know, right. at the time that Diablo came out, there were a lot of PC grognards who were like, God, no, this is not an RPG. Like, where's the character creation system? What the uh, hell? Uh, this yeah. is no RPG. So there's there's always people trying to draw boundaries. I, I, I'm more interested in looking at the, the, the idea, the inspiration behind Zelda. And it really is to take sure, like, yeah. the RPG experience Absolutely. and make it a... A stabby, fast action game. And Miyamoto is not into RPGs. I mean, he will say, uh, I mean, I think when I was talking to him about, I don't know, Mother or something like that, Earthbound, it was just like, I I dislike RPGs. I have a fundamental dislike of RPGs because you, you don't need to, like, perform well or get better. I mean, you just have to put in the time, like, just pressing the A button over and over again um, to uh, to build up your character before you move on. So Zelda um, is the RPG for people who don't like RPGs that was, by the people who don't like mm-hmm. RPGs. Right, that is precisely what it is. It's trying to take that concept and move it forward. Now, Zelda 2, which we'll talk about later, I mean, that, I think you can see, that is a reaction to the popularity of Dragon Quest because Dragon Quest was explosive in its popularity in Final Fantasy. Um, and so now RPGs being a huge thing in Japan, Nintendo was like, okay, now let's do a game with numbers. Now let's do a game with However, grinding. those you... games basically play themselves compared to Zelda 2. That game right, is right, so right. No, hard. no, no. That was a, it was an attempt to toe the, not toe the line. It was an attempt to um, walk the line Yeah, I between. think to push back toward the RPG, like yeah. the RPG concept. Still maintain the action-oriented nature of the gameplay where you do have to perform the game well, um, you know, when you do have to have skills in order to do that, but to add in grinding and to mm-hmm. add in experience and to add in more RPG elements. And then... They, and then they pulled back from that immediately. And it's, then they never did that again. It's yeah, funny I, you mentioned all the Japanese influences because I, I don't know a lot of those except for Black Onyx, but like so many of the games that you see mentioned are, are American games that even came out for the mm. Famicom. Well, I, it's very a lot of, a lot of a early... Japanese, you know, movement come out of America. Yeah, a lot of the earliest Japanese RPGs, really before Zelda, Dragon Quest, you know, 1986... Um, they weren't coming out on consoles because consoles couldn't support them. Like we said, you know, you need you really need to be able Saves. to save your, your data. So those were coming out on Japanese PCs, and that is a mystery area that is very inaccessible for Americans. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's something that really just deserves someone to devote a, a whole lot of time, maybe a career to unearthing. But you know, we get right. little bits and pieces. Like new information is always coming out. Like someone stumbles across some PC eighty eight game or some game for the Sharp X1 and is like, whoa, this is mind-blowing. Can you believe this? Like, It's just <laughs> so hard to find information on that. Even mm-hmm. if you read Japanese, there's not necessarily a lot of information online. It's just like, you know, uh, in, in America, there were all these PC games coming out and we know about the big ones, but what about all the little ones that were distributed and in, you know, Ziploc bags and, you know, 20 copies were made and stuck on a store shelf mm-hmm, somewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, it's just such a... a mysterious area, such an undocumented area. So, 
I think Falcom, you know, Sorcerian and um, Xanadu and, and some of those other games that they did like 1984, 85 before Zelda, um, those are, are well known just because Falcom continued to thrive and continued to grow and continued to build on those series. Like Sorcerian had sequels, Xanadu continued to have sequels. There was a Fazanadu for, for Nintendo Entertainment System. Are those related? Yeah, they are. It's oh, Famicom okay. Xanadu. There you go. Um, I, I I think it's really funny to look at the dungeons of Zelda and see Tower of Draga in them <laughs> and know that that's where they started with Zelda. Like yeah. the dungeons were where they started and, and there was even a, a dungeon creation tool that was considered uh, and the overworld came second. But we when I just picture Zelda, it's all overworld to me. I mean, I, yeah. the dungeons are, are big, but it started as a dungeon crawler. I remember, and, but the um, overworld is what's significant about Zelda for me. I like, remember being excited to play Tower of Draga finally, like in the late 90s when it came out for the uh, Namco collection. I, and I sat down and played, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, what do I do? Where do I go? And I think you really needed to be part of that arcade culture in Japan in the 80s yeah, where yeah. – there was a conversation being had. It's kind of like Dark Souls today without mm-hmm. the internet. Well, I'm sorry for the Dark Souls. Totally I, I don't even. It really sorry. is. I mean, you had to you had to in, input button codes that you you had just no idea what they were exactly. until somebody figured it out by. It was accident. it was even more arcane than Dark Souls. Yeah, my yeah. understanding is that Tower of Draga did pretty well in the arcades, but it was a hundred yen a play, so that's that's not cheap. Um, and it's it really buff. exploded in popularity once it came out on Famicom. Uh, which was like 1984, 85, early 85. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was going to right. save you money, but you know, like that w- it was one of the early, um, one of the early first party or third party releases, and there weren't a lot of Famicom games at that point. It was kind of early on in the life cycle, so a lot of people bought that game. A lot of kids, you know, and then they started doing the sharing and the the information and mm-hmm. buying strategy guides mm-hmm. because there was a strategy guide explosion in 1985, 1986. Um, so it did become become kind of this this you know this sort of trendy thing, and I really feel like that was that was the, that helped shape the the Legend of Zelda because uh, you know uh, Tower of Draga did of have such a huge presence among Famicom owners mm. at the time. Yeah, Strategy guides, to your point, would would chart on Japanese bestseller lists. Like they were some of the most popular books, and we saw a little bit that with like How to Win at Pac Man, but it was yeah. it was so isolated, right? Whereas there, it was just, you know, when Japan does something, it goes all in. It's not like here in America where we're just kind of like, eh, nah. Mm. Like, they, they do it, and then they drop it. Tower of Draga is built on Pac-Man hardware. Like, mm-hmm. by 1984, they're still using oh, wow. a, a Pac-Man board with different ROM sets. That's your basis for an RPG. So Pac-Man is, really is where it all begins. <laughs> yeah, it, everything goes back to Pac-Man. But yeah, the... Um, the Legend of Zelda kind of stepped away from the RPG by making, you know, it took took out experience points, and in doing so, it divorced character advancement from the idea of killing and uh, of defeating enemies. Like, enemies were there, but they were kind of a means to an end. Like, you would kill them to get uh, rupees or, you know, to restore some health or just, you know, in the dungeon to clear out all the enemies in a room so that you could find its secrets. Mm. Um, but but it wasn't really the point to go out and like say I'm going to become stronger by killing bad guys. You just had to kill the bosses basically. Like you can you can make it through Zelda with killing very few enemies. Um, instead, the idea was that character advancement became sort of um, a corollary to the the things you discovered throughout the game, the tools you found, and that kind of became. Really, sort of a, a, an ongoing theme in a lot of Nintendo's more adventurous games. Metroid is the same way. Um, you advance through the world and uh, learn to, or to gain the ability to uncover new areas and advance to new places by discovering tools, and those become sort of an integral part of your your tool set. 
So they weren't really big on the idea of, you know, abstract numbers making you stronger. It was much more concrete, like your your health is going to go up because you found this gym that, you know, gives you an extra heart for your your life meter. That is how you get stronger. You find these things, you discover, you explore, you poke in every corner of the world. And you're right, the uh, like maybe Dun- Zelda started as a dungeon crawler, but the dungeons to me were always really the easiest part of the game. I mean, you might have to take a few attempts at them, but you it was the overworld. You Nintendo power. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was really the overworld that was so complicated because yeah. it was just, you know, like this, what, 16 by 8 grid. So what is that, 128 different screens? And I think 90-something of them have a hidden secret on them. <laughs> so you don't know what those secrets are going to be. They could be pushing an object. They could be burning something. Um, blowing a flute at the right time. There's no way to know until you just no. Tie it's only things. those three things. Yeah, uh, it, it is those three things. <laughs> yeah. But th- that's still three was, different um, things to do, and mm-hmm. a whole lot of bushes to burn. Right. I right, think it was right. more manageable than uh, Draga, though, because there were far less, far fewer variables to work with. Like you could always, um, you can always kind of brute force it with Draga, like you guys were saying. Like sometimes it was secret codes, or you have to step on the right square, or whatever. It just is really arcane stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Draga was inscrutable by mm-hmm. design, and that was really how games of that era tended to. Uh, extend playtime. They just made things impenetrable. And Zelda does a little bit of that. Oh, for I think sure. it's, it's hard for people to go into that game for the first time these days because it does require you to burn every bush and bomb every wall and push every statue or whatever. Yeah, the beauty, though, is that you can go out and just the overworld is so open that you can go out and see everything. Mm-hmm. And whether you know what to do with it or not, that means that later when you figure out what to do with it, you can go back to all those things that you spotted before and put connections together. That's just the most exciting part of exploration for me. And something the Zelda series just hasn't had since that game. I mean, it has a little bit in Link to the Past. It's it's just the, the ability to probe the farthest corner of the map and come back. That's what Skyrim does now, not Zelda. And it's risky to go to the corner of the map. There's there's centaurs there, and they'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Now, but but that's that's not an invisible wall that's stopping you. It's not a corridor that's preventing you from going no, through it's, a it's gate. It's a sword beam that takes off two thirds of your life. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know you can quickly walk around them <laughs> if you're very good. So uh, we, we mentioned the Famicom disk system earlier, but why don't we go into a little more depth about that? You, like you said, Sam, um, Super Mario Brothers and The Legend of Zelda were pretty much developed in parallel, and Nintendo knew the Famicom disk system was coming out. And for those who don't know at home, uh, why are you listening to the show? <laughs> or how did you find the show, I guess? Um, but yeah, the Famicom disk system was a peripheral released only in Japan for the Japanese version of the NES, and it was a three-inch diskette drive. And it did exactly what it sounds like. Games came on discs, and you popped them in, and they'd word a life and load, and you could save on them. And the hardware did add a little bit of um, extra capabilities to the the system. At the time, the diskettes had more storage capacity than cartridges. And secondly, um, thanks to the kind of the way the the Famicom hardware was designed, uh, there was an expansion port inside the cartridge slot, and the Famicom connected through the cartridge slot. 
and enabled an extra sound channel. So the mm-hmm. the hardware sound channel went from four to five. Right. And um, the uh, the demise of the Famicom disk system was hastened by the fact that cartridges quickly overtook uh, the amount right. of storage that was on a disk, which was fixed. You mm-hmm. could not have a bigger disk. Uh, and then also they could then add in those those sort of uh, kind of enhancement chips to the cartridges as well, which, again, you could not enhance the Famicom disks. And so it burned so bright in Japan for mm-hmm. like a year or two mm-hmm. and then and then was gone forever. The rewritability of those disks is so integral. I mean, you, yeah. you, imagine a place where you can't rent games. You could take a disk to a place and get four or five hundred yen a new game put yeah, on yeah. the disc. Yeah, the, the, you didn't the value have to proposition buy great. The, the thirty to fifty dollar game. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like today where you download a copy of Zelda and it costs the exact same amount as retail or possibly more yeah. because mm-hmm. they don't put it on sale. Mm-hmm. And there are some games for the Famicom disc system today that are super rare because you, you they have were, to find it on someone's disc. Yeah, they were <laughs> only writable copies. You had to go to a store and have a disc rewritten or just buy a new disc and have it written with this game. Ugh. You couldn't just go to a retail store and buy the game. It had to be written with the disc writer onto a disc. Like Final Square games were all like that. I finally got my last Square Famicom disc system the game. The pinball game? The pinball game. Yeah. Moonball Magic. Finally got one. Never heard How of is it? One. Yeah. Um, haven't played it yet, but I can because I have a working Is it a dog game? It is. <laughs> They're all dogs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, people <laughs> figured out at the time how to copy discs yeah. illegally, okay. and yes. that's so Piracy why it didn't also, come to America. Like, Piracy they, also hastened the demise. Yeah, I, by the it time didn't, it didn't need to come to America. By the time they would no, have brought it to America, it was already on the decline in Japan. Okay. They kind of you realized, think so? like, oh yeah, okay. and they realized, like, oh, this is just not—it's not worth it. So, how do you bring? So, but of course, in 1986, 1987, some of the biggest, biggest games that we remember as the classic NES games were actually Famicom disc system games. Mm-hmm. So, how do you bring <laughs> a disc game? Uh, over to America. Well, there, for Castlevania, out, you just take out the methods. same states. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just compromise it and make them play it in one See, sometimes we get yeah. the harder version of games. It's Everybody always thinks, oh, they make games easier for U.S. audiences. Sometimes they make them way harder. Yeah. Oh, yes, man. the Castlevania <laughs> use what is known in the, in the trades as the fuck you method, which is we're just taking out the safe feature. Deal with it. Still a great game, though. Um, we didn't know we didn't know any better. Right, uh, Metroid and Kid Icarus, which of course not a coincidence. They were both released with that you know cool silver box, you know uh, password series password pack. games. They reprogrammed them to use passwords. Now they also, I will say, nicely took advantage of the fact you can do different things with passwords versus saves because when you have a password, you can then put in secret passwords. Yeah, uh, which Cheat they codes. did with both. Yeah, with both Metroid and Kid Icarus, there were secret passwords danger terror horror that would danger terror horror icarus fights medusa Medusa angels Angels, and of course justin Justin bailey Bailey. right but were those were those like put in there for players or were they more like debug codes kind of like you know the konami code was originally put in because the guy who was testing gradius and programmed the the nes version was like i can't beat this game justin bailey is not helpful for any sort of debugging whatsoever I i think that's just a that's that's pretty much been Figured out to be just a like random string that yes, it turns out that it seems like it means something. You're kidding me. No, get out. <laughs> what does no. it mean? What does there it is mean? no like real the, Justin. There's Bailey. all these theories like Bailey's a swimming suit, right? Like Justin Bailey and I yeah, know, or somebody's name or whatever. But like, why would Samus be running around without her power suit on and with green hair? Yeah. What about the green hair? So we need the green hair. That means she's got the bar. No, yeah. She, yeah, but she doesn't run around without the suit without on the suit in the game the bar, normally, the bar, yeah, right? Yeah. That's What's unusual. That? It's unusual not to have the Varia suit, but not have your helmet. Yeah, I've I've done it once. Oh, you can do. Yeah, it. you you can beat the game without the Varia, and uh-huh. Samus is naturally a brunette. I think Justin Bailey. That means green, right? Yes, that's <laughs> that's that's Spanish for green. I think Justin Bailey, uh, Chris Houlihan, and Andy Kaufman are all living together in the same trailer park somewhere, <laughs> and we can't find them. 
didn't Andy Kaufman program uh, Polybius? What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, and resulting in deaths. debug menus. Like if you go to a debug menu and it allows you to select your stage and change variables, like that's a debug menu. Like something mm-hmm. that just jumps you to the end of the game, you know, fully powered up. It's like it's not really, it's not particularly helpful. Well, we know in Kid Icarus, there's definitely codes that were made for fun. Yeah, I don't know for Metroid necessarily, but well, there, definitely no, there is Icarus. there is a, a there random is like, string didn't like, get like Icarus jumping, fights. It's like jumping to Mike Tyson, you know, the the code to jump to Mike Tyson with a bad record, basically, you know, right? Because that. The, that that one was was for fun. It was to circulate it out there so people can, you know, do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there is um, the NARPA sword uh, password oh, yeah. for Metroid, which people are pretty sure is you know for debugging purposes or, or oh, testing okay. purposes. Yeah, um, because the it could either mean like N A R like password. someone said it's North American release password, yeah. or ah. uh, th- I think the programmer or, or tester was named Narahito or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it could be like Nara's. Hito's password. Right, right, Who right. Who knows? Nara's oh, password. So, yeah. But it, no, no one really knows, but it's all kind of, you know, just speculation. Mm-hmm. So the disk system had immediate advantages, mm-hmm. but it also had a big disadvantage, and that was load, load times. We never got load times on NES cartridges, but, Although, but the Famicom, like well, Zelda itself, has big black screens when you go into the dungeons. I, I will say that having just played through uh, a bit of Zelda on, on Famicom Disk System and also Metroid and a few other games, a well-programmed game is not super terrible about load times. It's not like, you know, uh, reading, for for example, from a, a personal re- remembrance here, um, you know, playing Atom games, Coleco Atom games off a, a cassette tape mm-hmm. where it would take like two minutes to load a stage. Well, mm-hmm. Famic- uh, Famicom cassette system would have been a little slower. There, there was a cassette system, really? but it wasn't used for games. Oh, right. okay. Right, right. Um, what was it used for? It was used for making your own games and then saving that data. Yeah. Oh, yeah. just yeah. rewritable. If you need a lot of Or also data. saving your Excite Bike stages or right. Wrecking Crew. Right, right, yeah, yeah. We got, we got robbed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, we did. Anyway. By ROB. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then the so third, what and the then heck there, was well, I Zelda saying? was the the third method because they decided that they didn't want to just a make people play from the beginning of Zelda all the time, but also that b it was it was maybe just too complicated uh, to to rely on a password system. This was going to take this is a game that's going to take you a long time to play. You didn't want to be constantly re-entering passwords, mm-hmm. so they had to come up with a technological innovation that had not actually been used anywhere at that time. I think it's right? used in pinball machines. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, that's how high scores are saved. Okay. I put them in before. It's an SRAM chip and then a battery. Okay. And that just goes to one pin of it. And I, I've never cracked open a Zelda cartridge, but right. I've fixed a lot of pinball machines that have that exact thing in them. Yeah. Okay. It's basically so they moved just it like over this, from pinball machines. Yeah, like a very low uh, amount of voltage is it's just constantly mm-hmm. being fed into the SRAM. Three right. volts. And those things, those last forever. Like there's still Dude, Zelda still cartridges work. that still work. They, they were supposed five, to last for five, five years. years. Is that what it was? Yeah. 30 years later. Nope. Still going. Yeah. My Same Earth, with Earthbound one still works. Yeah, I, I have to wonder I, that though. That might be different. Um, that might actually have. It might be a, board. a more advanced uh, could, model. There's also no, a chip to store memory hmm. later that doesn't need voltage. Super Nintendo was all um, batteries. Hmm. It is batteries I, too. I believe. Okay. I, mean, I want to crack Game one of those Boy, open, Game but it's Boy worth too much. Advance, you have ones that don't use battery, hmm. but Super Nintendo, I think, was also. Battery. You can retroactively go back to your cartridges now and put in. Uh, non-volatile storage, which right. is basically not yeah. battery, yeah. if you want. I have to wonder, though, uh, was Kid Icarus, were Kid Icarus and uh, Metroid released one year before Zelda in the States? Were oh, they yeah. both mm-hmm. one year before? Um, I think they Silver Fox released, They were actually released yes. around the same time. Yeah. Um, you think so? Uh, yeah, no, they I were, know for a fact that they were. Packaging is together. from that earlier. Metroid and Zelda were released looking. weeks apart. 
Okay. I was wondering if uh, the password system was so bad they were just getting a lot of feedback mm. from like their customer support. No. Like, I, my, they won't take my password because there's zeros and O's and well, ones. They got and that feedback no, about games. batteries because the batteries wiped all the time. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there's iterations the of Zelda in mm. the United States where some of them warn you to hold reset and some of them don't. Oh, wow. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, Which I they, never did. I never even realized that. I really think um, you know Zelda was meant to be this sort of standout game. They gave it this, the golden cartridge and a golden box that just had a crest on the front. It broke from the black box style. Um, even the the silver password games still used the sort of standard uh, NES box art, first party box art format. It was just with silver instead of black. But Zelda was different, and I really think mm. that you know putting the battery in there was a big part of that. It was it was definitely it made the experience a lot more pleasant. Uh, for people, oh, yeah, like you, yeah, the, the Metroid passwords were a big enough pain in the ass, yeah. but but Zelda, you really needed to just be able to jump in and get back to where you we were going, and uh, you know, it, it, it lent itself to that. I remember going to a friend's house and playing around on his Zelda cartridge, and I saw that there was a save file that had three hearts and 256 deaths. Like, it, it, there's a death counter yeah. on the title screen, it shows how many times you've died and restarted. Um, and I was like, who is this? And he was like, oh, that's my sister's save file. Mm. Uh, the punchline uh. is that his sister is in high school, not just some like little kid. <laughs> she, she just didn't know how to play the game, but she kept playing and kept trying, and you know, I'm sure she would not have gotten that far into the game, that many, that many uh, attempts and deaths, if she had to input a password every, every time she wanted to right. start up a new yeah. session of the game. Yep. So I, it really did lend itself to just people kind of casually jumping in, mucking around a little bit, seeing what they could find, dying, saving calling it a day. Hmm. I do really like the Japanese cover art, but you are right that the American cover art is so much more iconic. It really stands out. Stands out. And as a kid, like putting in the gold cartridge or like just looking at it, marveling at it, it was an experience. Like, oh my gosh, it's like a special game. You know, yeah. it yeah. really was like, like a design to be like, this is very unique and important. And when you don't grow up in Japan, you don't realize that all the cartridges there were beautiful colors. Oh, yeah. They're all amazing. Now I know it's like a rainbow of plastics. Yeah, and here there was a patent on that gray cart, so it was a risk to make a gold one. I mean, they didn't make any other colors because of the the gray cart look was like this level of protection, legal protection for their games. That's why Tengen had to make those crappy-looking black black cartridges. Or Color Dreams made the blue ones. Yeah, a lot of, you know... In, in Japan, third parties could manufacture their own cartridges, at least in, you know, initially. Yeah. And man, and you got they, a whole They made some crazy-looking cartridges. Like, mm. Konami was pretty normal-looking, except there's always a hole in the cartridge. Mm. Like, in the upper left-hand corner, there's, oh, like, yeah. this hole. I guess you could put your cartridge on a keychain or something. Cool. I, I don't know. Um, I hear there's ones with LED yeah, beacons I think, on the top of them. Is it yeah. Sunsoft or IREM? Jalico? Oh, Jal- no, no I don't think it's Jalico. It might no, be IREM. Like City Connection. Oh, IREM? I think yeah. so. Okay. Maybe it's Metal Storm. But yeah, uh, they would put LEDs in. Yeah. For the amount that Metal Storm sells for in Japan, I would not just want LEDs. I would want like a small <laughs> light show that just like <laughs> Lasers illuminates and smoke. my house. Yeah, it's a Pink Floyd light show. like the Mecca. <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen inside. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So Zelda was, was unique because it was the first NES cartridge to come in something other than uh, a gray, pretend this is a VHS tape uh, case. And same, the, same and size the second and shape, to last licensed one. There aren't any others. There's just Link. All right. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, Super Only NES cartridges. Unlicensed. There were a few colored Super NES yeah. cards, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That was what. Okay, never mind. I was gonna say I, I, I wasn't linked to the past gold. Maximum Carnage was red. If they could it was, pull out the stops, that was for a that big game, disappointment. Totally. Yeah. When, when I opened that that game box and I was like, was, wait a minute. Hmm. 
Or what, what about Where's a lenticular? My gold? <laughs> Which one had lenticular? Was, was it Majora's, Majora's Mask? Mask? Yeah. Majora, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ocarina of Time too did, didn't it? I don't think so. I, I think it was just gold. Majora, and, and they were all gold for Majora. People, some people are like, I got the gold Majora. It's like, no, I'm sorry, they're all that. Now, yeah. they all the you lenticular lose. though? I think they all have lenticular. I'm uh, not sure yeah. if there was a second well, printing. No rarity. Great Majora's. Oh, on the cart, on the cart, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, there's a demo great card. Right, exactly, mm. yeah. Mm, okay. So set, send us those cheap ones. Yeah, yeah. Great cards. Yeah. You know, we'll, send you, we'll send you gold ones. Send you gold for great, yep. So yeah, Zelda took about a year longer to come out in the U.S. than its initial Japanese release, partly because, you know, it came out in Japan before the NES had actually entered the the national broad market here. But also, I think they needed time to get a cartridge that big and to mm-hmm. figure out how to do the save RAM and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, they had to make new hardware for it. They, they certainly didn't yeah. spend that time in localization. No. And I, I'm just not, I mean, there's serious localization problems with both that and Zelda 2. For being the flagship titles, yeah. the, if you, if there's you read, bad um, clues in those games. Zelda, yeah, there's localization problems. This is one of the first games to get localized. Yeah. Yeah. This was Before one that, of the it was, first games yeah. to well, get localized. I mean, every arcade game was localized. Well, and they have problems, too. If you read uh, Legends of Localization, and everyone should, the Zelda localization book, you you will realize yeah. like how do we how do we even know what we were doing? Like Nobody, everything is wrong. This is, yeah. Since you're bringing it up, this is a great time to plug the book Legends of Localization by Clyde Mandolin, who translated Mother Three and uh, is actually a professional translator. And he had the website right. I mean, where, where a lot of this information appeared. But mm-hmm. man, in book form, which is beautiful, it's by Fan Gamer. It's gorgeous. Um, I loved reading through it in the book because not only do you find out about like every different way that games were changed between Japan and the US but like you learn about every different aspect of The Legend of Zelda because like in showing how it's changed he has to explain what it was originally Um, and yeah if you are at all interested in going deep on Legend of Zelda like this book is phenomenal it's full color really there is there is some stuff in there like um, the enemy like 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 where that name came from, I could not even believe it when I read it because I'm like, I, I cannot believe that I have gone my whole life without knowing this because that is deep. It's, it's deep. like I a really obscure bug pun and error. From that. It's a it's a pun. It's it's something about um, like it's something about water bugs and what they like. Yeah. But but the thing is, it's like uh, the 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 pun is um, on I forget what it is, but it's like. Um, Tate is shield. It's okay. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to it's get all into about it. it's all about Don't buy the book. It's all about how it eats we, shield we really versus need a, eating bugs and yeah, right. We right. really should be getting a commission on all the times we've pimped that book. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. For that's, me, that's fine. I, I have I have looking been forward here to my checking the book. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, um, check out the Retronauts pocket that I interviewed Clyde on and uh, Heidi Mandolin. There we'll you go. See. Yep. Zelda is, is really interesting in terms of game design because I think, as you mentioned, Sam, it's really open. Like, you can go to almost any screen on the overworld from the very outset of the game. If you know the way through the Lost Woods in the, in the uh, southwest corner of the map, you can pretty much go to any place that you don't need a raft or a ladder to get to, which is, like, three screen. Mm-hmm. You can go anywhere. You'll probably die once you get up into Death Mountain yeah, or the but graveyard. but you could go there. But you could go there, in theory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are game, like... 
uh, game runs that are kind of built around the idea of seeing how far you can get without picking up the sword. And <laughs> you have to like go find a place to get free money mm-hmm. and then go buy some bombs. And yeah, it's, it's and it's, there is it's really like the game, big, the game lends itself yeah. to that kind of like crazy, like, how can I play this? How can I play this game in ways that the, the designers never intended? And there is an appeal to this um, if you can pull it off in your video game. Like, for example, like, okay, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out comes out. Nintendo immediately distributes the code that warps you right to Mike Tyson. Well, doesn't that ruin the game? No, because if you've never played the game before... <laughs> you can't possibly beat him even yeah, if you're you gonna, have. You're going to warp directly to Mike Tyson. He's going to completely destroy you. And not only that, now it's really set up this whole game as like, oh my god, how will I ever beat Mike Tyson. He's too powerful. But then if you go through the entire game, by the end of it, you actually have the skills to beat him and it feels like a real accomplishment. So setting it up at the beginning by having him destroy you, um, that was a really clever way of doing some like out of order kind of narrative, you know, player story stuff with that game. Zelda, very similar. Yeah, go to Death Mountain. Go to Death Mountain and get wrecked. Yeah, and in that uh, case, it's about collecting it's so much, it's so, and it's, it's, this ties exactly into what you two were talking about earlier about gameplay being the RPG element in this and how it being so important because in Final Fantasy, you would handle that by having a boss character cream your team right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Without mm-hmm. you, but you're still playing, and then you're like, "Well, how am yep. I ever going to beat that guy?" Well, it's just a Final series Fantasy of button presses does that. Mm-hmm. and grinding to get to there. But in this game, you actually have to do the same thing. You have to grind for a while and get better. But it also you're actually going to be physically better at the game mm-hmm. by that point, mm-hmm. and not just choosing healing spells in a better way. Yeah, you'll figure out. Oh, I can you know get the right kind of shield, and I can deflect those Lionel's mm-hmm. sword beams, and you know I can I can uh, shoot them from across the screen and not have to get up close, and so on and so forth. Or you still run around the centaurs, though. <laughs> Don't go for those guys. Just run. Just avoid them. Uh, it's fun to kill them. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, if you if you sit down and really look at what gating exists in the game, you need eight Triforce pieces. In other words, you need to beat all of the first eight dungeons to enter Death Mountain, the final dungeon. To beat Ganon, the final boss, you need the silver arrow, arrow which is inside the final dungeon. Um, you need a few items to uncover certain dungeons. Like, there's one dungeon you can only find by burning a, a bush, so you need the candle for that. There's one dungeon you can only reach by taking a raft, so you need the raft to get there. And there's one dungeon that you can only uh, reveal by blowing a flute on a certain screen to reveal a secret. So that's, Is there a clue for that one? There are secrets where fairies don't live. Go. Good luck figuring <laughs> so that most, one out on your health. Most yeah. screens, like, in other words. I lost yeah. in the second game. I lost my mirror. Zelda, yeah. yeah. What? what? Zelda, Zelda was clearly like, I mean, it was, you know, we don't know who translated it, but it was clearly translated by people who, with a sort of a bare grasp of English and an English language I'm, I'm sure it was localized in Japan. Oh, yeah. Maybe maybe even by Mr. Right. Miyamoto, who knows English pretty well. The, the problem with that is that what was probably happening was that these cartridges were literally being mailed back and forth between Oof. Nintendo of America and, 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 and CL. And Nintendo I'm of sure America they were just would probably just be like, yeah, maybe, maybe, um, you know, but they were just like, okay, Nintendo Nintendo of America probably had to pick its battles as far as what it asked NCL to rewrite and how it asked them to rewrite it. Yeah. So, they, they may not really have put that much thought into it. Like, this is, you right, know, good yeah. enough. And it, it's pretty clear that the manual was localized in the U.S. Like, oh, it was yeah. written by the American team. You know, yep. Nintendo had a good, a small, but very good marketing team. Mm-hmm. 
you know, uh, Gail Tilden and Howard Phillips and so forth. And it's I, I think it's pretty clear that they, you know, took the Japanese materials and really wrote that themselves. But right. localizing inside the game is a more complicated process, and you need someone to program that stuff into the right. game. which they so, did not have yeah, pre-Treehouse. Right? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they offered them. some exactly. – Yeah, exactly. they probably offered some input, but for the most part, God. I think it was handled in Japan. That opening Star Wars, like, text role is so just awful and great. I love it. Just, like, quotes are Friends around things for no reasons. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, they use quotes in Japanese to set off oh, yeah. important terms. So they Which just carry that over. Evidence of it not being lo- actually right. localized. Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Anyway, oh, so... I bet the house that it was localized in Japan. Mm. Right. Really yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I never thought about it that way, actually, which is makes so much, so much sense. Yeah. So uh, so that really is kind of a like an unusual sort of game for Nintendo. It's much more of a sort of playground, like, a you know, if you want to say sandbox, sure. It's, it's kind of a sandbox game for you to mess around in. Um, so it really kind of established a new, I think a new level of depth and substance for NES games and really for console games because they're, you know, consoles just didn't have the, the power, the capability to present that kind of experience before that. So it was something uh, new and interesting. Well, having having read I Am Error uh, recently, semi recently, I recommend everyone else read that. Uh, yeah, we're, we're we're also promoting other people's books too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's just like that game could not have happened without the the programming wizardry that put it all together, and the fact that like all of the dungeons fit together on one big map. They're like yeah. just like all parts of one big map. So when you're playing a dungeon, you're just entering that map with all the dungeons, but it's choosing which where you are in that matrix of dungeons. It's just mm-hmm. such it's a marvel. The same size as the overworld. Yep. Yeah. There's 256 screens overall. And as world. lots of people know, that was actually the only half the space was used for one set of dungeons by accident. I believe it was oh, a lot of right, yeah, right. That. It's like, oh, let's let's put another game in here. There while was we're a at mistake. It. They fit all the dungeons into half the memory by accident, and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, why don't you use the second half of that memory to double the size of the make say eight, eight more dungeons? And that's what the second quest is. Mm. And man, that second quest is a great idea. Mm-hmm. I still like that is such some, a great thing to explore. Uh, for future Zelda-like games because mm-hmm. there's so much to do it. And now they're re-releasing uh, uh, Twilight Princess and, and Wind Waker and stuff like that with a, a kind of second questy elements, but they're not that great. They're always like, lose all your hearts faster. Or it's like it's a mirror of the world, really. That's as far as they go sometimes. talked quite a bit about The Legend of Zelda, um, pretty much covered most of the things that I had in my notes. So just to kind of wrap up the first game, I'm curious to know kind of what your own experiences and memories of the game are. Um, you know, for me, it was the first Nintendo game I remember seeing advertised. Like, I knew about the NES, and I wanted the NES because obviously I was, you know, a kid, and I'd seen demos, and my friends had one. But I'd never really seen anything about it on television, at least not that I can remember. But then those commercials came out, and they made it look so amazing. It was a never-ending adventure. New for, like, mm. how, how could I play a game that never ended? Like, how amazing would that be? What if that was the last game I ever needed to play? Like, how cool was that? It was gold. It was special. There was a guy rapping. Like, mm-hmm. amazing. I had to have that. I don't remember how we got it. I, we got our NES in 1988, uh, so Zelda was already out. 
it was, you know, one of many games. Um, we might have gotten it used at a flea market or something like that. Um, but I, I, I can certainly tell you this. <clears throat> I was really into it. But at the time, I did not play the video games. Uh, my brother actually played all of the Nintendo. I mean, like, I, I played the games, but I was bad at them. He was very good at them. And I was very happy to simply watch him play uh, the, the games. So he played Zelda. Um, we beat Zelda. I went, I got a uh, strategy guide um, and I think he beat Zelda, but we were both very much sort of like um, cooperatively. I had the guide. I told him where to go. Um, so that was how we played Zelda 1. I don't think I have, no, no, no. I have, I have never beaten Zelda 1. I've played a lot of Zelda 1, but I've never finished Zelda 1. I love finding complete copies of Zelda 1 and seeing uh, somebody's handwriting or maps or whatever they make in there. And sometimes it's clearly their parents that help them. Sure. Uh, Just like a really nicely done one with like kids writing all around it. Mm -hmm. And that's just one of my favorite things. And Zelda was the game where I always saw that happening. So I always knew it was probably like this big family game, as Bob was talking Mm -hmm. about. Yeah, it shipped with this big fold-out map that showed most of, but not all of the Uh, overworld, the kind of the corners of the map where things were most difficult and most obscure were left just blank white squares. And they so didn't cool. show they didn't show where any of the hidden secrets in any of the screens were. So it was there for you to you know like say, well this is where I can bomb and find a heart container or up over here there's you know the money making game or a hidden you know hidden rupees or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of left like that that map begged to be marked on. Um, it was not meant to be pristine. If you have a pristine mm-hmm. copy of the Legend of Zelda map and it was used that means someone who owned it before you was horrible and had no soul. <laughs> like, they didn't understand the passion about this game. Like, they just didn't get it. Um, I, I probed Zelda a bit when I was a kid. I, I never rented it, but friends had it. But I never got into it, and I forced myself to play all the way through it. Very much enjoyed it uh, when I already knew you guys. So I, mm-hmm. I did this. I think Brian Altano every day at IGN would say, uh, now, today you should go for this heart because it's really easy to get. He just helped me through the game. He was my personal Your game life help. coach. Mm-hmm. It was really fun, and uh, and for some reason when I was a kid, I was very anti-Zelda. I love Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. I love Castlevania. I love Mega Man. But my friends that all like Zelda, it's like, ah, that's just not for me. I don't. I can't explain it. I was eight. I was seven. No, yeah. I, I you know, don't actually, know what happened. The, the presentation and the marketing around Zelda made it feel like it was a game that was too good for me. Like, <laughs> I wasn't worthy of this game. Like, it was something that other people could own, but... Like, I, I couldn't have a game like that. That mm. was just too good. And that that attitude about, like, RPG-style games stuck with me for a long time. I always looked at those sort of RPG adventure-type games, you know, everything from Zelda to Final Fantasy, as being, like, games for other people. Like, other people own those, and I borrow them. Felt the same them, way, Jeremy. I but, think that's really interesting. But, like, mm. I, you know, like, I, I don't deserve this game. It's too good. Um, I, I got over it. Or maybe but. it was a big kid game or something. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Final well, Fantasy. I was, broke I was a big me. kid at the time. So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm older than I think all of you. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, you know, I was I was a teenager at that point, mm-hmm. young teen, but still. Um, I don't know what it was. It was just like I don't know sense of lack of. Were self-worth. you anti fantasy at all? Uh, I'm not a big fan of fantasy yeah. genres because I loved Lord of the Rings, but I always felt like Zelda and things that weren't Lord of the Rings were a knockoff. 
Hmm. I still kind of feel that way. I think other fantasy that's not Lord of the Rings that still has giants and dwarves and stuff. And I think it's just like why, like makeup, like fantasy is so wide. Why use those Tolkien classics? Oh, we'll, we'll have fun right. talking about Final <laughs> Fantasy. Don't you worry. I, I never I actually wait. owned Zelda because it was one of those games where like everyone had it, so I didn't feel the need to buy it. Uh, like mm. Mario Three, and again it was ubiquitous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> again, it was the dad game, and uh, I inherited it from my stepdad when uh, he married my mom, and. Um, I, I got to a certain point, but I never finished it. But it was just fun to play in the world and just, you know, how many how many rupees can I get? Where, where can I explore? Even if I wasn't finishing the game, it wasn't until I actually finished A Link to the Past a few years later that I, I think I was ready for what Zelda was asking of me. Um, and I didn't actually finish it until after I beat Link to the Past. So it's been a while, but I have finished the game before. Yeah, I um, I never owned Zelda until many, many years later, but I borrowed it from friends and, um, you know, played all the way through it over the course of a couple of weeks and got hints and everything like that, but but really kind of figured it out on my own. And I remember the the sense of elation I had when I defeated Ganon for the first time and then discovered, oh, there's a second quest. I should try this out. Then I ended up beating the second quest in like a weekend because I, I knew pretty much all the tricks. Like the only thing yeah. the second quest adds is much greater difficulty and the new element where you have to push against walls to walk through them, and I, I think oh, I, oh, right. I forgot. I about think that. there was, I think there was a tip in Nintendo Power, like yeah, there, there are certain certain walls you have to push through. So I knew to do. But that. don't you also have to like burn a different random bush a lot? Oh yeah, everything is changed dungeon, around. So you just go through the perimeter of every level. Very difficult, yeah, to find right, yeah. like the entrance to the dungeons. Is but like, you know the trick, which yeah. is to test every single tile. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's not yeah, exactly so. fun. <laughs> no, but, but, but it, it went it went much faster the second second quest through. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so final thoughts about the first Legend of Zelda. It truly is a legend. Mm. It, it, Zelda needs to go back to that. They need to go back to. Uh, I would love a big exploration based game that's risky. I just love that idea. What they seem to be promising, at least. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if they follow yeah, through. We'll, it's been we'll a while. see about that. Yeah. Yeah. They they say a lot of things every time. Yep. I I might be the only and person, you, and then you find yourself, you know, collecting uh, notes, five music notes, musical yeah. notes to uh, get the freaking boomerang <sighs> again. Yeah, I might be the only person in the world who found the a link to the past somewhat disappointing because it did go back toward you know the original Zelda style from Zelda Two, which I thought was cool, but it just didn't have that sense of like everything is open. It felt mm-hmm. much more structured right. and rigid. And I really liked that. That's what addicted me to you know both Zelda and Metroid. Those were two of the first games that I really got into, and um, just their openness and the sense of like, hey, I have to figure this out on my own. I need to just like poke my nose into all these corners and figure out how things work. Uh, I really liked that that kind of sense of you know you're just out there on your own, figuring it out. You have to, it's you against this entire horrible video game world. Um, and A Link to the Past, you know, really pushed the series more toward uh, puzzle-like dungeons, which are cool. I like the the puzzle-like dungeons, but the, the world itself, the overworld, became yeah, more puzzle-like. It's fences and gates yeah. instead of just being a big open field. To and there, there, there is satisfaction in, you know, making all those things work. And I think that's more, you know, like better game design and more uh, deliberate game design and more appealing game design for most people. But I do miss the sense of just like, here's Zelda, go figure it out. You know what, Jeremy, and everybody at home, it's time to drink. Uh, I think Dark Souls has replaced Zelda for me, and I'm not just saying this to be Bob Mackie. I'm saying this because there is that spirit of um, go anywhere. Uh, you might get killed, but you also might find something cool. You might run into a boss you haven't seen before. Uh, it's just such an open game, and they're not, they have that confidence that uh, the original Legend of Zelda has. Like, we will, we will just set you free. 
and you can go to wherever you want. There, there is sort of a kind of a right order, but if you want to go outside of that order, you can also have fun there too. So I will try it based on that. Yeah, based I mean, on that, nobody's ever sold it to me that way before. Yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like from software. And I have tried it, I just haven't liked it. Okay, so I, yeah. I want to go back and try it. it. It is a very different game than Zelda, of course, but I find that confidence and that exploration is something that has been missing from the series, and that and I go to Dark Souls, Dark Souls for that rewarding feeling. Yeah, and I, again, you can drink; it's okay. Yeah, my liver thanks you for this uh, case of cirrhosis. <laughs> Love it. Um, I, there, I apologize. There is, there is one other Zelda game that does kind of recapture the openness of the original Zelda. Wind Waker. Uh, yeah, yeah, to a degree, but that's much more sparse. One of Gamelon. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, he uh, I was going to say so Oracle of Seasons. Oh, yeah? Oracle of Seasons actually started out as a remake of the first Zelda, and it retains not the same degree of openness, but it's much less linear than other Zelda games, and you can very easily take dungeons out of sequence. It's not nearly so gated. Oh, I didn't and I remember, that. yeah, I, I played it a, a lot. I beat I a couple of the dungeons out of order the first time I played through it. It was like, huh. I can't usually do that in Zelda. That's neat. Cool. Like to me, the Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons feel like kind of a duology. Um, Oracle of Ages is very much like, you know, the 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 modern day Legend of Zelda. It's very like quest based. Uh, you're talking to a lot of people and going on little sub quests for them and doing fetch quests and that sort of thing. Whereas Oracle of Seasons is just like you and the seasons and monsters mm. and uh it's kind of they're they're kind of nice bookends like they really show where zelda had been and where it was going and uh you know if you haven't played those they're on virtual console for 3DS so please do they're really good <laughs> they weren't yeah that's my that's the big shame gap in my, Ooh, my Zelda novels, really ages and seasons yeah. uh, i i like i like seasons more just because it does have that kind of retro feel to it yeah but they're both really good okay so, right. yeah, it looks really good. Them. You changed the seasons where there's like yeah. snow and snow piles mm-hmm. over everything. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was that was really kind of meant to take advantage of Game Boy Color. They were yeah. like, oh, it's going to be fall, so everything's the orange or red now. Yeah. yeah, I think each 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 tile of the world has four potential states mm-hmm. based on the season. So so much can change based mm-hmm. on what season it is. It's really fun. It's really fun to play with that world. I agree. Yeah, I need to revisit that. I haven't. I actually haven't played it since it came out for the first time. So that's God. That's fifteen years, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say I replayed it recently, but the thinking back, I replayed it nine years ago, so that's not very recent. <laughs> oh, time slipping away. We're uh... gonna Going to die, Zelda 2, The yeah. Adventure of Link, Boo. the game Boy, that kills everyone because game. it hates you. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I like all the ideas in this game. The way it punishes you is a very old school way of punishing the player by uh, basically wasting their time. That is my only problem with the game. 
for the most part. Um, oh, skipped straight to the meat. I just want to, I mean, I, if, in case anyone was wondering why I don't yeah. like the game. And my my other problem I with the game is that, um, I'm filibustering right now, but my only problem with the game is that, um, other problem is, I found that the pacing of how they introduce enemies is very strange, where it's like, first dungeon, here's the hardest thing you'll ever fight in the game, and you'll fight a lot of these. Um, like the, the, the horse heads? Uh, no, the, oh, the, uh, the knights. The knights oh, that no, you not fight. dark knights. They have a different name in this. Yeah. yeah. Rebanax. Anyhow, I, I, I feel you like... You just got to do this little jump slash... I, Little jump slash, little jump. You jump a little bit and hit them in the face. Jump a little bit and hit them in the face. And they're hard otherwise. Otherwise, you just have yeah. to go up and guess which way you're going to stab them up or down. It is such a... But man, I'm well, very familiar with it. It's such enemies. a bizarre uh, difficulty spike to me that did not oh, yeah. feel uh, right. And, I, and I've made so many attempts to get back into this, and I can't do it. And I want someone to patch this game and make it a little nicer. I don't you know, know what? You know who did that? Uh, Nintendo, because they just updated the ambassador version of it with save states. And save states makes that game Wait, much really? better. Yeah. Oh wow! And I didn't okay. realize that because I'd been playing it. They without don't ever save announce states. the ambassador stuff. Like stuff gets changed, and you have to go into your yeah. 3ds download list, which is for me hundreds exactly. of games. And oh, there's yeah. one that needs I didn't an update. Realize I played half the game. Oh, by save states, like, you I, mean like um, you you just get to make a save state. And, oh, I and see. reset from didn't there. They, so you didn't can go they, screen by screen and didn't not. They do that life. with all the ambassador games in one big batch. I think they did. Yeah, God, this is all news to me. And I didn't ever update it, so I was playing it classic. And then I got to They didn't just do it. They did it like. Five you can also do that on Wii U oh, Virtual okay, Console. Right, okay. Anyway, but why don't yes. we talk about Zelda Two? Um, <laughs> but I agree. But I agree that save states, in you know, in general, like you know, save states can actually make a lot of games a lot more fun to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zelda Two is definitely yeah. one of those. Um, I, used, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say abuse, but I definitely used save states playing through Earthbound Beginnings on Wii U Virtual Console. Oh, it's you like, have you know to. What? I'm just going to save state. Yeah. Okay, so Zelda 2. Um, eh. Surprisingly launched like 10 months after the first game mm-hmm. uh, in Japan. Uh, That's so funny. Like it's it's less than a year later. It's crazy that they came out with a sequel that quickly. Nintendo hadn't really done sequels before that. They had Super Mario Brothers 2, which was kind of just like, you know, the, the ROM hack of mm-hmm. Super Mario Brothers. But this was a radically different game. Right. And I think it's important to note. I wonder if it was already like kind of in development as something. Probably I don't know. With, probably with Mario. And then well, they, they were like, here's uh, the interesting yeah. Mario thing. Adventure 2. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing. You know, the main design team for The Legend of Zelda was Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka, mm-hmm. the Mario team. Quite. The main designer... What's that? Quite. Oh, okay. Indeed. The main designers for Zelda 2, uh, Miyamoto produced, but what does that mean? He probably just like looked down beatifically and said, numbers, stats... I don't know, but go ahead. Yeah, I'll hold off on the tea table for he did now. Not, you know, he did not yet. I think he said, I, make at it that point, person. I don't think he had the tea yeah. table power. Like, I don't think he really had the the ability well, to go in and be Yamauchi like, was still alive. Can know? we explain what this tea yeah. table references to people? <laughs> I, I think it might be lost on some people. Oh, it's it's fine. It's okay. just an oblique reference. Gotcha. Um, the main team behind Zelda Two was Tadashi Sugiyama, mm-hmm. Yoichi Yamada, and uh, Kazunobu Shimizu. And the game that all of these people have in common, the one game they all have in common besides Zelda 2 is uh, Doki Doki Panic, a.k.a. Super Mario Brothers 2. Ah. So it's so it was really the next project from the Doki Doki Panic team. Yeah. So, so gotcha. Doki Doki Panic didn't start out as a Mario game, but when it came to the U.S., of course, it became Super Mario Brothers 2. Right. And it was radically different from the first Super Mario Brothers. Are you, was that after Zelda 2? Um, Doki before. Doki Panic came out. It was, so much better. it was it was eighty seven. They they both came out around the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, they're they're not. Yeah, well, 
I just think Doki Doki Panic's beautiful compared to Zelda, which is kind of rudimentary. Zelda 2. Zelda 2. I know yeah. Um, no, Zelda 2 came out first, actually. Doki Doki Panic was mid-87, I want to say. They both yeah. have characters and that lift stuff above their heads. Zelda 2 but was the February here is They made games real fast in the 1980s. Yeah. Real yeah. fast. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I, I, I don't know. Like, there's probably nothing to it, but I think it's interesting that... You know, Nintendo games developed this weird reputation for the second game never being like the first. Yeah. Largely on account of Zelda 2 and, and Super Mario, Mario Brothers 2. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though Super Mario Brothers 2 wasn't a, a Super Mario game originally, right. Zelda 2 was. Mm-hmm. And so there is, I don't know. Like, it was a Zelda game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it does really change the mm-hmm. game. You know, Zelda, The Legend of Zelda is a top view, you know, inspired by Tower of Draga, like three quarters perspective, uh, action game where you move freely in all directions around the screen. Zelda 2 was very much a 2D platformer. Yeah. And you ran, you jumped. It had RPG elements, but it was also much more of like an action game that you would have expected to see on NES at the time. And it was kind of arriving around the same time as a lot of other games that were attempting to do that. Like a month or two before Zelda 2 came out, uh, there was a game called Wing of Medulla that Mm -hmm. came out from Sunsoft, which was, um, like if you think Zelda 2 is hard, uh, and kind of <laughs> o- opaque and oblique and, and difficult to play, you should try Wing of Medulla because that game is just like, there's there's no mercy. It sounds like you shouldn't try it. Uh, I think it's I think it's educational. <laughs> um, you, you start out like completely defenseless almost, like unable to destroy anything. And right away you find a better sword, like halfway through the first level. The levels are all very small. And all of a sudden you can like attack stuff. Uh. And, and, I don't know. Like it, it has kind of a, a magic spell system and everything like that. Um, shortly that after, very similar. it's very similar. Hmm. Um, shortly after Zelda Two came out in Japan, Rygar came out, which attempted yeah. to take that arcade game, which was just you know like a Rastan Saga sort of yeah, linear game's nothing. hack and slash, and right turned it into right. you know this non-linear game with tools and equipment, and uh, there is an experience system. And uh, like a hub world, like an overhead hub world, it kind of combined Zelda and Zelda 2. But, you know, it came out so close after Zelda 2, it it obviously wasn't influenced by it. Um, So there was this kind of, I would say, like, uh, just sort of this synergy happening. Like, a lot of people were sort of arriving at the same ideas at the same time. Dragon Quest had had come out and, and been pretty popular the year before. And, of course, Super Mario Brothers came out in 1985, and that was a massive hit. Yeah. So people started to think... What if we put all these things together? People were starting to think, what is a console game? Mm-hmm. Like, what is a home game? Because, they, I mean, you know, everything on the Famicom for the first couple of years was ports of arcade games. Um, and so then you had people just starting to consider in a lot of different ways. Like, well, what does it mean when it's not just 100, you know, 100 yen a play? Like, what if it, you know, shouldn't everything be a lengthy adventure? I mean, those are the games that are selling the best uh, in Japan. So let's, yeah. you know, let's make Rygar into one. Let's even, make, yeah. even Double Dragon had experience points mm-hmm. on the it did. version. Yeah. yeah, so weird. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting because, you know, you had a lot of people kind of taking these arcade experiences and trying to make them deeper for the home console. Whereas Zelda 2, kind of, they kind of pulled it back. Like, they took it back from the top-down overhead view to something that much more resembled Super Mario Brothers mm-hmm. or, you know, an arcade hack and slash. Uh, Link is... And they gave you the shortest sword possible. It's a mm-hmm. dinky little sword, mm-hmm. but you... It's so bad. Link can attack and defend at two different levels, at two heights. He can stand and he can crouch. And, you know, as you do that, not only does that determine the the level at which you're attacking, but also at which you're defending. And that becomes an important part of the game. Um, but really interestingly, Link, interestingly, Link 
loses, ooh, that was tough, mm-hmm. uh, all of his tools in Zelda 2. Mm-hmm. He, all mm-hmm. the things mm-hmm. that you associate with Zelda, like, you know, the boomerang and the, well, the hookshot, shook hookshot wasn't around yet. Man, I cannot talk. What the hell? Uh, bombs are taken out. Instead, you get magic spells and you get the experience system and you get sword techniques. So, you know, if and you. And tools, but they, they're passive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get keys. Well, um, you get the candle. There's that like a glove up, that lets you. Tunnels. Yeah, but it, yeah, everything is automatic. You, you get a raft, but you can only use it for one strip yep. of water. <laughs> yeah, like all of these things become kind of just keys, basically, background yes. elements. And you no longer have active tools. I guess mm-hmm. that's, that's a better way to but say it. But the spells are the active tools, and they solve puzzles later in the game, mm-hmm. but the early ones just give you more defense. Right. And, Let you uh, throw fireballs. Jump is an important one. Mm-hmm. But man, you're always man- managing how much magic you have. It's mm-hmm. it's always a battle between, oh man, should I die just to refill my magic because I have another life? Because you have lives in that game, which right. is really strange. Yep. The whole mm-hmm. game is juggling like your time. It's like, do I want to start over from here or here? It's so frustrating to figure that out. The American version, at least, is friendlier than the Japanese version. Yeah, it because It penal- penalized you with well, experience. Yeah, right? well, when you... Okay, so... There's this weird kind of leveling or the experience system where you can allocate your experience points into three different stats. You have um, your defense, your life meter, which is kind of the same thing, and your attack power. And um, attack power is so important. Actually, it it's is. magic and life and attack. Oh, power. magic. Okay, that's right. Yeah, magic, life, attack. Okay, that and, makes more and sense. you want to go for attack, but attack is worth so much more. So you either can spend a dinky amount on your life bar or. Hold off and don't die. Right, and, and you, you can only you can, you can only upgrade when you hit um, like a target for a certain level of, of experience. Like, um, but it's always you like two thousand, three thousand, nine thousand. Yeah, you yeah. have to save up a lot of experience, yeah. and you lose and you, it all if you if die. you continue. If you continue, continue. if you yeah. die, it's okay. But if you continue, you lose it all. So oh. anyway, grinding. So is you have you have about. to you have to kind of balance this out and, and decide like, do I want to upgrade now or do I want to go for it? Mm-hmm. But in Japan, the Japanese version, um, there was this weird kind of quirk where if you leveled one element up ahead of everything else, if you ended the game and restarted, you would lose like the the level you, the, the the attribute you had leveled up the most would be knocked da- back down to be on the same scale as everything else. Ouch. Yeah, it's. Is that a I, bug I think I'm remembering that right. I don't know if it's a bug, hmm. but it's something they changed in the U.S. version, and it makes the U.S. version a lot friendlier. Um, because basically in the Japanese version, you have to level up all three traits at the same time. Um, and you don't have, really have to do that in the U.S. Like if you really just want to go all in on magic spells for some reason. Don't do that. Go for it. So no, the, so the thing to do is to go for attack power? Yeah, absolutely. And again, beat well, it, life, beat life it is two days ago too. for the first time ever. And man, yeah, life becomes important, but it's just it's so much more expensive to get swords. And there's three grinding areas throughout the game that are kind of well known. Mm. And you just kind of have to sit for a while and do that. Mm. It makes the game possible. Mm. And that game can easily be impossible, not because of anything, but just sheer like enemy meanness. Mm. They're so hard. It's so hard to kill anything until you get your downward thrust. Right, which makes it better. Which yeah. is a great those, move. Those sword attacks are great. The the up up thrust is not that great, but nope, the down never thrust, used it. like I feel like that is what inspired Ducktales. Totally, because you you it's the pogo. It's yeah, pogo it totally yeah. is. You stab downward, and you if something uh, you don't kill it right away, you just bounce off its head, and you keep stabbing it. Mm-hmm. And there's certain bosses where mm-hmm. you're design like you have to do that. Yeah, you dismount. One of the bosses from his horse mm. with that attack. Mm. Nintendo took that move back with uh, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze <laughs> yeah. uh, because that's Cranky Kong's move is the bouncing on yeah. his cane. He has a cane move. 
So yeah, Zelda 2. Um, Hardest part in Zelda 2, besides the final dungeon, which is called the Great Palace, mm. is a series, uh, it's a maze of caves. That leads to the, the final dungeon? No, that one just sucks because it's like so many enemies. And there's and before that, there's those lizards that throw rocks at your head. I hate that part. Uh, but there's, no, this is just right between, there's the first town, the first dungeon, and then second town. And then there's uh, Death Mountain, which is cave entrance, cave entrance. Oh, yeah, and yeah. each cave has a long fighting area in it and there's no way to really build up too much before that except if you grind and lame temple enemies uh but it's a maze and if you get lost you basically die because you just are gonna run out of life eventually mm-hmm. and and the way to get through this is back then trial and error it's like go in a cave choose right or left go in a cave choose right or left. it's actually a combination of overworld map and platforming areas it's so crazy hard it is but once you get through it do you realize Wait a minute! This little area down here is the mm-hmm. entire overworld map of the original of Legend of Zelda, Zelda. Mm-hmm. It's so which is a cute. great little, great little reference. Like I think oh, I played boy. Simon's Quest before this, mm-hmm. so yeah, because that came out in the U.S. before Zelda Two. Here's the thing, uh, Jeremy. So it, it was just like this great little oh, like these games are starting to reference back to the previous ones. I like this. You mentioning this I mean, reminds I never did it again. <laughs> yeah, you referencing this reminded me of uh, like we never talked about the story of Zelda and how just crazy the story for Zelda Two is. It is like the most confusing and conv- needlessly convoluted Zelda story where it's like there's a Zelda born every so many years and that's yeah. the Zelda that's sleeping is not the Zelda from. I don't understand it. Okay, so so is the Zelda you really? rescued, yeah. Huh. The Zelda you rescued is like the current princess, she, but she was named in honor of a princess who was cursed millennia before, centuries before, I don't know exactly. But basically like her brother or something made a deal with an evil wizard and reneged on it. And so the wizard put Zelda under a sleeping spell and she's been asleep for however long. And every daughter born into the royal family since then has been named Zelda. Hmm. And so you are rescuing the or waking the original Princess Zelda, who and you already sleeping killed Ganon, so you don't have to deal with him at all. Well, you don't have to, except Ex- except you if you die, then you do, well, too too bad because uh, all the bad guys want to kill Link and use his blood uh, as a sacrifice or, to or, res- or. to resurrect <laughs> Ganon. Like it's <laughs> which super was, dark which for was Nintendo. the Bald Bull sample, right? From yeah, Mike I was gonna Tyson say he sounds like Mike Tyson. Or I something. believe no, I think it's Bald Bull. Oh, Bald Bull, I yeah. The, I think it's the same thing. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's really grim for a Nintendo game. Like super dark. When you when you die, um, the, the game over screen is the silhouette of Ganon with glowing eyes yeah. in black against a red background, and it says "Game Over: The Return of Ganon." Yeah, and he does that laugh. Mm. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of kind of dark. Kind of so, awesome. Though. Never Zelda never really went that dark again. It's tried. Right. Like so there were some parts in Twilight Princess. But yeah, I mean it's the black sheep of the series in so many. Ways, it is in many many ways. So to just finish all, that, it's just, it is an entire Zelda made up of ideas that they would never use again. But yeah. that's not entirely true. Is we'll talk about that later. True? Okay, not good. entirely true. So there's, there's something. There's a lot 2. of Zelda two in Ocarina of Time. Well, yeah. which, oh, indeed. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence because well, the director of Zelda two was the di- no, no, no. To Zelda. Like no. game concepts. Oh, interesting. Game okay. concepts. Well, I'll let you talk about that. Okay, later, then. we can talk about that later. I was gonna say. So you, when you die in Zelda two, the most frustrating thing is that you get sent back to where the, the princess is sleeping. Yes. Right? Like, you lose two lives, and you go back there. You have two lives again to play with after that. Yeah, that... So, dun, 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 dun. Like, that, that's a trigger. Yeah. When you get sent back, it's terrible. So imagine coming out the other side of that Death Mountain maze. It's all overworld. You know, you, you, you've you been playing for a long time, probably like over a half an hour, 45 minutes at that point. And you finally figure out, you get the other side, and there's still random monsters on the map. Remember, random monsters are in this game. They maraud. And uh, if you don't get the hammer at that point, which you will restart with, which is really nice, uh, 
uh, you will not have a shortcut back to that area. So potentially, if you don't even figure out how to get the hammer, which is also possible because it's pretty obscure, then you are playing the game linearly to get everywhere, and you're playing through this huge bound of gameplay. But the hammer gives you a shortcut right in the middle of the whole world that allows you to go in four different directions, and it's really helpful. Ooh. Yeah, it, so I think that's I think it brutal is a, game design. I think it's important to talk about the big change they made to the overworld in this game, which is that it is not the overworld from the Legend of Zelda. Instead of being like the screen by screen situation that is basically functionally identical to the dungeon view, um, it is much more of a Dragon Quest abstracted overworld where you walk around and you can't fight anything. Like you'll enemies will appear and they'll bump into you. But then that takes you into a separate combat screen, which is, you know, side-scrolling. So it's much more of a traditional RPG in that sense. Mm-hmm. And um, they do some kind of clever things, like if you're walking on a road and enemies attack you, then um, you, you go to the sort of combat screen, but there's nothing there because you're, like, in a safe space. But otherwise, you know, the, the backgrounds kind of reflect where you are in the world map, like on a, a beach or in a rocky, craggy place full of... Uh, weird bubbles that rise out of the water. Yeah. Um, so it kind of reflects, you know, the the, the sort of experience that you're having, the the situation you're in. Um, you're definitely, it's you're definitely in a corridor. You're never, you can explore little areas between mountains and villages and stuff, but you can't get to the further areas. So it's the beginning of the downhill slide for like not being an exploration-based Zelda. You can probe the edges of each area and there's some cool stuff. You find these like Stonehenge ruins and there'll be a heart in there. Mm. It's really, those are like the parts of Zelda 2 where I'm like, oh, this is graphically interesting. And the rest of it looks like kind of a janky PC game from the time. It's very strange. It looks like a typical like the villages? Japanese action game for Famicom, honestly. Mm. It's very much a, a, a product of its time. You know, I think it's not pretty. No, it's not. But I mean, keep in mind that it's early 1987 and, and games started to look a lot better toward the oh, end yeah. of 1987. So it was really pretty out of date by the time it made it to the US. But I think Doki Doki looks really nice. It does, yeah. but that was that was later. And actually the Japanese version of Doki Doki Panic, you know, that's it's a little not, bit more primitive than Mario 2. Yeah, it is. Like they polished it up a lot when they brought it to the US a year later as Mario 2. So both of those games kind of benefited from from the delays. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they both are like Zelda 2, I think, still looks like more of a product of its time, but because it is so large and complex and has the save feature and everything, it still felt pretty remarkable when it came out. But but it definitely, you know, did did kind of leave a little bit of a disappointed taste in my mouth when it yeah. came out. I think if you can solve a lot of the problems that a lot of people have with Zelda with save states, as I mentioned earlier, it just makes it a lot less frustrating combat-wise and exploration-wise. But what it doesn't solve is there are adventure games, like 90s adventure game style puzzles in that game that you have to solve mm. that make no sense. And of course, <laughs> I Am Error is one of those. Yeah. There's two characters, Bagu, Bug, and Error. It, you, at one point, one of them says to go find Error. But the first time you go to Error, he just says, I am Error over and over again. You have no idea what that means. No, he tells you to find bug, Bagu, doesn't he? Yeah, he just says, the I river am man. Error. Yeah, yeah I don't know. the river man I think says talk to Bagu. Then he says okay. go back to error. Uh, but then it. there's also the uh, uh, I lost my mirror. This is a way to get a spell in a town. Uh, the, the solution to that I lost my mirror puzzle is to walk into one of the you know ten houses. You don't know if it's you're gonna find that mirror at the end of a cave, which you usually find stuff, right? You find a lost child in the end of a, a cave. You find something you know something else, a trophy at the end of a cave. But this, you just go into a house, and this is you would never figure this out. I don't know how you go to a table. 
and you duck down at the table. Every oh, house has a table. Oh, right. yeah. And when you duck down at the table, it says, I found a mirror. I think I, I can like envision the counselor's corner Nintendo Power section oh, yeah. for this. Like, how do I find the mirror? And there's a yeah. picture of a guy oh, the, with like, the a windbreaker on. The yeah. worst thing is the, <laughs> the entire... Wait, does he have a mullet? He has a mullet. He has to have yeah. a mullet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The worst thing in the game is the entire hidden town mm-hmm. in a forest. And to find it... You have to go to that that kind of obscure area of the world map. There's nothing else of interest over there. And you have to hit the exact space where the town is hidden with the hammer. Now, at no <laughs> point does the game mention that the hammer is able to clear-cut forest. Oh, right. It is. Like, if you try it, oh, you, you can, can do it cut forest. Yeah. Okay. But who would think, yes, I'm going to knock these trees down with a hammer. Yeah. And you it's know what so the counterintuitive to find the villages at all? Is yeah, that there's, like, a there's a village that just kicks your ass. Because it's filled with invisible enemies, and everybody's moved because of that. So there's like no like, hey, we moved sign. That's your clue. It's like the Croatoan, you know, or a sign in the early American civilization. Oh, okay. So the clue what, is what that do you we find leave behind? An empty no village. People in it. It's yeah. full of invisible enemies. Yes. Right. And but so the thing you is, must, they, they also to think they must have gone somewhere. <laughs> right. I'll go hit trees until I find them. And you know, since they're invisible, you just think, hey, is there a gas in this air that's taking my life? Yeah, yeah. There's no oh, yeah, real you have, way. To, you have to find the cross. Yeah. So then you go to that village. You, then you have to go back to the other village and make the enemies visible. It's just it's just mind-bogglingly con- convoluted, and you had to use guides to do this. Mm-hmm. And of course, at that time, you could rely on Nintendo Power to give you that. Those I, I think we could assume that Zelda 2's strategy guide was one of those chart-topping books in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they didn't have an official strategy guide for Zelda. No, in Japan. Right? In Japan. Yeah, I know. Isn't yeah. that surprising though? I mean, Nintendo Power had a lot of stuff in it. I mean, Nintendo Power, yeah, had, but there was, it was like a whole game. There was no, yeah, I think I think they tried to maybe move over to Nintendo Power at that point for mm-hmm. all your strategy needs because yeah. they didn't. They stopped publishing strategy guides for a while. They had the Mario and the Zelda ones, and then that was pretty much it. I picked up an off-brand Zelda guide as a joke that was from the Zelda Two era. It had both games in it. Oh yeah, and I've been using that. Oh, I have that with with Link. He just looks like a, a sissy, like very scared on the stairs. <laughs> yeah, we don't lantern. really use that word anymore, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's very funny, uh, but that book was very helpful. It's it computer drawn maps on it and stuff like that. It's great. I remember Zelda. I mean, Zelda Two is one of those games where you would see uh, tips in Nintendo Power years and years after the game was released. Like you'd see things like Kid Icarus and Metroid in like a ninety issue of Nintendo Power. Like there was always a, a need for these hints, you know, for kids. Yeah, that was a game that really demanded you get help. Like even more so than the first Zelda, which had some obscure parts. Like what does it mean? You know, how do I, how do I find level five or uh, what does this tip mean, like northwest, southwest? What's that about? But for or the most the part, about upgrade, you have to upgrade to come back and get this or something. Oh yeah, master using this and you can have it, and that just means come back with more hearts. Yeah, like there, there, there was some stuff that you needed to kind of figure out or talk about. Um, but, but Zelda Two was just opaque. It was, it was inscrutable, and that that's probably the most frustrating part. When I played through it, I got stuck in it for probably like three weeks because I could get to the last dungeon. I'd, I'd beaten all the temples. I could get to the final palace, but I couldn't enter because I didn't have maxed out hearts. Mm-hmm. And you have to max out your life by finding all the heart containers before, I'm pretty sure this is right, before you can enter the final dungeon. Through God. And I didn't know where it was. It turns out it was on this was uh, this island water? maze yeah. uh, that's kind of like hidden. And I had been to the island maze before, but I guess I hadn't walked into the right 
random block of the maze mm. where you step and all of a sudden it puts you in a side view and oh there's a heart container yep. mm. or maybe it's a magic container but in there's any one case out in the water that's really hard to find yeah, yeah. This, man you guys are making a phenomenal case for me to never <laughs> me ever too. play this video but again game. save states and a game guide make it possible to kind of just explore this game that has yeah. things that Nintendo made that we will never see otherwise right it's too there, there yeah, is true. a really true. cool game here that with you know the hindsight of modern game design thinking and the idea that maybe you don't have to be a complete asshole to players <laughs> would be a really great game. I would love to see sort of a, a modern day remake of this um, that just you know, kind of takes yeah. out takes out the horrible parts and just smooths over the the bumpy bits. Mm-hmm. I think and, people have been talking about that for a long time, and I, you know, yeah, I wouldn't it, be too surprised to ever hear that Nintendo had considered that at some point, or you know, worked up some prototypes sure. of, of Zelda too. But in in general, they've pretty much just abandoned it. Yeah, yeah. but Kid Icarus got a nice 3DS remake. I always yeah. liked with a, a little bit of a floaty jump. Yeah, and, right. Uh, they they changed the jump space. on that, and all of a sudden it becomes this playable, pretty God. fun game. Oh, the 3D, three, the I love that yeah. version. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Arika just made like a little change so to the way Link, Link jumps. They didn't even take out the fact that. When you duck, you fall through a platform. Yeah, no, they like didn't. They, they kept all the all the all the elements of the I'm game, finished. but yeah. they just changed the way you jump, and it changes everything about the game. It's mm. much more playable. Yep. So, so I, I think you know Zelda Two would need a little more refinement than that, but but it's still there's still a, the heart of a good game here. So maybe better clues, and then maybe uh, those invisible pits. <laughs> Take out those invisible pits. Those things are so mean. Yeah. You can't see them. There's no way to ever show the invisible. You just have to fall in them once. <laughs> And then you have to jump over them the next time, and you don't know which brick it was. And oh my god, uh, final boss, so cool in that game. First, you fight a very difficult large boss, and then you go to get the Triforce. There's a little man holding the Triforce. I don't know who that little man is. He's up on a pe- pillar. Yoda, I think. And mm-hmm. you, you think I'm finally at the end. There's the Triforce, and then all of a sudden, your shadow jumps out of you and just kicks your ass. Oh yeah, that's definitely an idea they've explored plenty of times since this game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Shadow Link is an Ocarina of Time. Uh, and in that game, I remember people saying like that he was so hard in that game, but there's tricks to him yeah. in that. But in this game, there's no trick. You nope. just have to back him into a corner or just swat him You just him have to fight him. But, I mean, you use the exact same tactics that you did with the the knights and everything. And, you know, you to get to that point, you have to fight through the Great Palace where you don't just fight those knight guys, but the flying bird, the folkers or whatever they're called. With the hammers? Yeah. They're, they're basically no. hammer brothers. They're They're, they're so no. bad. They're like birds and knights, and they're just terrible. Mm. They're horrible. The The final boss is nothing compared to that. But one of the interesting things is that to uh, be able to damage, to be able to hurt the final boss, the, the next to last boss, the firebird, yeah. the phoenix or whatever it's called. You have to use a spell. You have to use a spell that uses half your magic meter if you've, you've maxed it out. So Plus that, you have to use shield and jump. Yeah, you have to use you shield have to and, use you have to use to jump and shield. So you can't really rely on like the life spell. Until like it pretty you much get to drains your magic. Link, and then you, you, if you have a life, you die. And then you have your full life again. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about that great palace. You can get extra lives in Zelda 2. Mm-hmm. But they're on the map screen and they're in other places. They're even in dungeons. But you can only get them once. So <sighs> yeah, if, if you wait your whole game and spend two lives and everything and then just do a run to get all the extra lives, mm-hmm. that's the way to beat the great, and then great can, palace. And then Otherwise, can you, it's too hard. Then can you save your game? No. You'll lose you them. Can't you have save one them. chance. Yeah. You, you oh have God. to do that run. It's like the E-Tanks in on Mega one, Man 2. One save. Wow. Um, <laughs> the, the one nicety is that if you make it to the Great Palace and die and continue, you continue from the beginning of the Great Palace. Mm-hmm. Like, but you it, don't have that, enough lives run, to beat it at that point, so it's... it's that is, that is, I, I, I've done it. That is the yeah, one save okay. point in the game outside of the uh, Zelda's castle, right? Yeah. Hmm. 
That's the only other one. So uh, I've just played it, and I do recommend playing it on 3DS with save states on your commute. You can do it in bite-sized chunks, and and you just look up game help when you need it, and it's totally worth it in that sense. I had a great time playing it, actually. Like, I, I really like it. Is there any... So, I mean, yeah, would, would this be a game in which you would say just start playing it, and then if you need help, you know, go to the fact? or Because there's some games I would where I would say... I would skip like, the parts you played. Because oh, okay. you've played those so many times. You've gone to that great palace probably uh-huh. and gone to the caves. But like, just w- get through that and then explore a little bit. But always know what your next goal is. Okay. Like, you know, just an outline is good enough. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's not a fun exploration game. It's a combat game. Gotcha. You And and uh, it's good to know. And up, upgrade that sword. Yeah. yeah. Chris said if you get stuck. I, I can't imagine a scenario someone playing this fresh wouldn't get stuck. You yeah. Know? That's so the when, thing. You yeah. have to know where to go. When you get stuck. Yeah. Yeah. But there's some, points, there's some games in which I would recommend that people like start the game just and just use a fact because that game is going to tell you don't do this. Like yeah. here's things to not do. That's a really here's good point. things yeah. to go do that are that are going to make your gameplay experience better. There's yeah. actually a website for that. I think it's called like Before I Play or whatever. Google that. Oh and yeah, can, and it'll be, it'll be like here's what you should do. There's like no spoilers. So, like don't do this. Make sure you do this just to like have a better time. I yeah. like we that make a those lot. guys That's for really Dark cool. Souls games idea. and stuff like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, Earthbound is a really good game to play with the original strategy guide because the strategy guide is not a strategy guide. It's like that's it's right. like an index yeah. of yeah. Like all the all the stuff it doesn't tell you. And it's like right. a, yeah, if you have three hundred dollars, grab that guide. Yeah. It's, it's also like uh, like great uh, PDF version. The PDF is available officially. Oh, okay. yes. It's also so designed to be like an artifact of the world with like newspaper articles and you know just like right, fun totally. information well, about isn't that, that cool? universe. I think that's such a clever thing to yeah. release your book guide as like, hey, this is what we couldn't fit in the game, yeah. and it just makes it yeah. better. I believe, and of course, uh, as we know, yeah. you know the, uh, the the fan gamer guys will bring them up again. Did the did the Mother Three Handbook, which is exactly beautiful. But for Mother 3. I was reading that thing, and I was like, oh, man, how'd they get all these cool, like, um, you know, clay versions of the characters, just like the Earthbound guide? They, they must have got, they must have scanned these out of a Japanese guide. Nope. They freaking made clay versions of all the characters yeah. that look amazing and then photographed them That's for so the guide. That's so cute. Yeah. We love them. They make our T-shirts. So oh, yeah. please buy yeah. one of those, too. Right, right, right. <laughs> So anyway, um, we, we really need to wrap it up. Yeah. And I don't know that we really have too much more to say about Zelda 2, but um, I did want to mention the fact Beautiful that... Beautiful opening. Beautiful opening for Zelda yeah, 2. Yeah, especially if you play the Famicom Disk System version. Oh, right, The American right. version, you know, didn't have the sound channel, so mm-hmm. it loses something, and it's very kind of shrill. Like, there's a warbly nature yeah. to it that I don't like. Yeah, it's it's much nicer in the Japanese version, and I, I hate yeah. saying that because it sounds so pretentious. Oh, you but, wanted to talk oh, about uh, you want to talk about Zelda 2's uh, influence on Ocarina of Time? Yeah, so um, the the names of the towns in Zelda 2 were the names of the seven sages mm-hmm. in Ocarina of Time, yep. and and of course that's Ocarina of Time takes place before Zelda 2. So what happened was the names of the seven sages we all we all named our towns after the mm-hmm. the sages of old, right? Right. So it's a nice callback, but yeah, yeah the the director of call of forward the, both oh, sure. Uh, the director of both games was Yoichi Yamada. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was the last Zelda game he directed. After that, it was, you know, uh, Aonuma. So I don't know. I guess he went on to Executive Heaven or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I, I always felt like Ocarina of Time took a lot of cues from Zelda 2 because combat in Zelda and Zelda Link to the Past and Link's Awakening was very just kind of like, 
yeah. stab, spin. You know what? Whereas Zelda 2 is really heavily focused on sword skills and on like standing toe to toe with enemies. And they nose really. To nose. nose to nose. You gotta walk to right up to them. You, you, you right. stab them with your tiny sword. You are absolutely correct. I mean, in, in the main, what happened with the Zelda series is like, oh, why didn't they make another Zelda 2? Well, the answer is after Link to the Past, the. It became moot. The top-down Zeldas and the side-scrolling Zeldas all became one game, which right. is the 3D Zeldas taking elements from both and moving on as a series. Well, with the Game all Boy of games, that, for some reason, about. stuck with the top-down. A side well, scro- they, right? They exactly. To, yeah. yeah. So a side-scrolling Zelda at this point would be a deliberate throwback type mm-hmm. game design. Yeah, it's weird. Which yeah. maybe they will, but yeah, you're right. I mean, when Zelda, but I mean, moved yeah, the, when I when I first played Ocarina became, of Time, I was like, okay, this is Zelda two, but they took the camera from the side and put it behind Link. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it really does feel like in terms of kind of the mechanics and play, like they really reached back to Zelda 2 and said, this is how we make, you know, kind of like strong, engrossing combat. You know, they added the Z targeting, which made a huge difference. But just the the element of the one-to-one combat that there's so much of in Ocarina of Time was very much a Zelda 2 thing. I mean, you spend so much time yeah. fighting the knights and the bosses and everything. Right, you and here's an enemy, and and you have to dance with that enemy um, exclusively, rather than you're in a room and there's three enemies and they're sort of wandering around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is why you, know, you hate Ocarina of Time? I can't stand <laughs> that game. No. Um, <laughs> well, so, you, have, you never beat it though, right? Isn't that one that you never got through? Uh, have I beaten it? I can't remember. I've played most of it, if not beaten it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just doesn't. I, I don't hate it. It just isn't one of my favorites. Like yeah. I never felt this this kind of immense. Like oh, I love this game. Uh, whereas I did beat Zelda too. So yeah. So there you go. Um, but no, I really feel like you know Zelda 2's legacy was kind of showing the way forward for uh, a very heavy combat driven game, um, and that's something that Zelda games outside of Zelda 2 had not excelled at. So. Um, so, you know, if that's the, the lasting legacy of Zelda 2, it's a pretty good one because mm-hmm. the way Nintendo handled combat in Zelda 2 really kind of revolutionized uh, 3D action games. It's mm-hmm. become kind of the standard, really. The one good part of it was what they carried on, and then everything else went into the dumpster of time. You guys remember the little uh, little neat fact that there was a downward <laughs> stab that was attempted to put in be put into Ocarina of Time? Oh, they really? Just, yeah, just couldn't figure it out. They tried, but yeah. they just couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah, it makes but sense. But it got the well, jump slash. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Based on Chris's comment, I want to play Legend of Zelda: The Dumpster of Time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sifting through these uh, these thrown away ideas. I think that was on CDI. Oh wow! Burn. Anyway, so any final thoughts on Zelda or Zelda Two as we wrap this up? I never thought I'd endorse playing it, but it's it's because it's a first party, such a mega hit Nintendo game that most people I know haven't beat or played. That's why I went back to play it. And that's why I'm here talking about it. When you brought it up, I was like, I want to talk about Zelda 2. Because, and then that made me get through the rest of the Great Palace this week. So it's just, it was one of the better archaeology uh, uh, you know, experiments I've had with a game recently. Yeah, not everything Nintendo creates is gold, even if they put it in a gold cartridge. Mm, nice. Yeah, thanks. Um, well done. But, but there are a lot of really interesting ideas in Zelda. And it really was this, I, I, I'd say a pretty influential game in its own regard. There were other games that kind of did the Zelda 2 thing in the following years, like Fazanadu, a few others, you know, that they did sort of the action platformer RPG adventure thing uh, and did it better than Zelda 2. And, um, you know, Symphony of the Night probably is is, um, sort of the ultimate synthesis of that and Metroid, like Zelda, Zelda 2, Super Metroid, 
all in one. Oh, and also some Castlevania. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a touch. Yeah, just a, a bit. But, um, you know, that that's really, I think, what they were trying for with Zelda 2, but the technology wasn't there. The game design philosophy and, and, and you know, sort of mindfulness of the actual player experience wasn't quite there. So it's a it's an interesting experiment and uh, a remarkable attempt that isn't always that much fun. But I definitely think it's wrong for people to just dismiss it out of hand because there's a lot happening in that game, and um, you know parts of it did survive throughout Zelda and 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 have influenced both that series and other series as well. Yeah, and we have you know a sense of shade and fraud. We want other people to suffer through this. Yeah, game. sure. I want to see them suffer through. <laughs> As, as for me, uh, uh, Zelda has kind of lost me uh, in recent years, but uh, I will always love games the most that borrow from the, or the earlier Zelda games, games that encourage exploration and games that are confident enough for you to get lost. Here, and, here. Yeah. And uh, Link Between Worlds, uh, probably uh, my favorite Zelda game of the past 15 years, probably. Yeah. It's a secret to everybody. Well said. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, that wraps it up for episode 21 of Retronauts, or whatever episode this was. And um, thanks to Chris and Sam for coming in to talk about Zelda. Good to be with you. Hey. Thanks for Bob for talking about Zelda also. Oh, yeah. Thanks to you, the player, for listening. And thanks to me for, I don't know, whatever the hell I did. Um, so we'll be back in a week with some kind of micro episode. And two weeks from now with a big episode hosted by Bob. It's going to be awesome. In the meantime, uh, you can check out our podcast at retronauts.com, at usgamer.net, and, of course, on the iTunes store. This podcast is made possible by Patreon. Uh, so please check out patreon.com slash retronauts and, and make a small pledge to us so that we can keep doing this and renting this space with no ventilation. It's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, of so course, it's a retronauts. safe space. That's right. Because we're actually inside a safe. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah it's true. We, yeah. Wow. So uh, a nuke could drop and we'd all be safe. In That's here. right. Totally. Forever, you know, anytime I come out of a, an episode uh, recording session, I'm like, is civilization still here? <laughs> okay. The electricity is still on. We're good. Um, so, yeah. Also, finally, we're on Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. So check us out on social media. As for myself, you can find me at usgamer.net where I work. And um, you can find me on Twitter as Gamespite. And also check out Gameboy.world, which is where I write about Game Boy games. Because why the hell not? <laughs> I love that site. Uh, Sam. Hey, you can find me at Samuel underscore IGN. Uh, I do a lot of retro game coverage for IGN. And uh, you can come play my pinball machines at Free Gold Watch at uh, Hate and Standing when you come to San Francisco. It's a great arcade. Hmm. Um, I am on a podcast called Good Job Brain, um, which uh, you should listen to. It has nothing to do with video games whatsoever, but I really enjoy doing it. Goodjobbrain.com. Uh, I'm the games editor at Wired, where I do write about the video games. So Wired.com for me. And you can find my writing at usgamer.net and somethingawful.com. And I do another podcast called Talking Simpsons. It's a chronological exploration of The Simpsons. We should be in the middle of season three by the time you hear this. So check it out. It's a lot of fun, and I have a lot of fun doing it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Nintendo, for making Zelda games. All right, that's it for us. Take care. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>